Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. There's good and bad news for Binance, and it all goes back to the Proof of Reserves report. We're going to bring you the latest. Plus, we'll be joined live by Maple Finance CEO Sid Powell and Rob Frasca from Cosmo Ventures. My name is Mark Oliveira. Ash Bennington is with me today. How's it going, Ash? It's going great. We get to do the show two days in a row. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, after like a long time off from COVID, I mean, I think it's uh, definitely good to be back with you like more often. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you back from COVID, Marco. For sure. <laughs> well, if, if you're for the viewers out there, if you're watching us on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. We have a ton of crypto content for you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell so you know when we go live. Well, with that said, Ash, let's jump into the latest price action. The optimism from earlier in the week has evaporated. Bitcoin had reached 18,000, but is unfortunately now back below 17,000. Bitcoin is down 3% on the day. It means it's in now in the red for the past week. What about Ethereum, Ash? How's it performing? Well, Marco, as you say, the surge from earlier this week feels like something of a distant memory. The picture for ETH is even worse than for Bitcoin. ETH is down some 6% in the past 24 hours, uh, falling below $1,200. Not a great end to the week, Marco. Yeah, definitely not a great end to the week. Uh, one more cryptocurrency we're looking at is today is BNB, the native token of crypto exchange Binance. It's one of the worst performers today. Uh, it's down some 8% on the day. And that brings us to our top story. Binance continues to dominate headlines this week. The exchange has seen elevated withdrawals after its so-called proof of reserves audit failed to reassure a lot of analysts. Now Bloomberg reports the company behind Binance's audit, Paris-based Mazars, has halted all of its crypto-related work. Binance confirmed this in a statement to Bloomberg. Notably, the Mazars report on Binance proof of reserves has disappeared from the fr French company's website. Uh, Mazars' other crypto clients include Crypto.com and KuCoin. So Ash, this sounds like a, a blow to the crypto industry that's really trying desperately to kind of rebuild its reputation after this whole you know, FTX thing debacle. Uh, and it's really dis disappointing news for Binance. What's your take on it? Well, I think the first thing to say here is it wasn't an audit. An audit has a, a certain term of art uh, usage in the financial industry. I am not a certified public accountant. I wish I were so I could go through some of these assets myself. Uh, but the reality is that this was not an audit audit in the first place. After the sudden collapse of FTX's implosion, uh, it's understandable that Binance is under increased scrutiny right now. According to data from Nansen, Binance saw net outflows of $3 billion on Tuesday alone. Uh, but Binance's CEO, Chengpen Zhao, also known as CZ, says this is, quote, business as usual, and the company is well positioned to handle uh, all the challenges that it faces, essentially playing down the risk. Uh, look, uh, there were questions about Mazars review of Binance's reserves. Uh, from the from the from the get go, and I say review and not audit for a reason because it wasn't in fact an audit. Uh, so let's just let me just read this quote to you from CoinDesk. Uh, quote. However, the assessment is not an official audit, according to Francine McKenna, lecturer in financial accounting at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Quote. They did a comparison of balances per public key addresses from a list they got from management. They did not compare any balances in independent banks or custodians or depositories, said McKenna. So the point here is uh, essentially what they're doing is they're comparing uh, what management provided to uh, the accounting firm Mazars with the on-chain balances. What is not included, and, and, uh, and uh, Ms. McKenna alludes to this uh, in, in her quote, uh, essentially no uh, li other liabilities that may have been off balance sheet or other assets that might have been off balance sheet or potentially, and this is just theoretical, uh, potentially uh, you know, anything that might have encumbered those assets, these things are not included in this report uh, coming out of Mazars. So again, not an audit, simply a comparison of what management claimed uh, and the on-chain analytics, Marco. Uh, okay, well, thanks for clarifying the difference between that audit and a review. Um, <clears throat> well, speaking of on-chain analytics, 
Uh, there has been good news uh, for Binance on that front. SEAL-based uh, analytics firm CryptoQuant looked at blockchain data related to Binance. They're saying that the on-chain data supports the figures in the Mazars report, and CryptoQuant estimates uh, the estimates of Bitcoin reserves were roughly in line with the Mazars figures. CryptoQuant also says the exchange is not experiencing the same level of withdrawals that FTX did in the days before its collapse. The analysts say the withdrawals, while being elevated, they're relatively small compared to Binance's overall reserves. Uh, what do you make of that statement from CryptoQuant, Ash? I mean, is this really good news? I mean, it's not bad news, but it's basically a truism. This is simply comparing, again, what was on-chain uh, with what Binance asserted. Uh, it's hard to imagine Binance would have claimed otherwise since everything is on-chain and easy to verify. So this isn't a bad story, uh, but I wouldn't call it a good story either. It doesn't really uh, it doesn't really add up to much in terms of creating uh, additional assurances. It just kind of it is what it is. So I don't, I don't know. I don't think this is really a good story, Marco. I think it's just kind of a statement. Look, what they claimed is true and it's verified on chain, but it was hard to believe uh, that they would have claimed otherwise since it would have been so easy uh, to refute, to Marco. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. it's all on chain, it's transparent, and that's kind of the whole nature uh, of the space. Uh, well, there's another exchange that we're looking at today that's in the spotlight. Uh, Gemini is back online after a disruption. The exchange run by the Winklevoss twins was down for seven hours. The firm says it was due to scheduled maintenance. However, it was only meant to be two hours, and then the break was extended seven times after that. Uh, the exchange appears to have suffered a couple of other issues yesterday. Gemini is still investigating issues with its credit cards. Some users are reporting getting security messages from Gemini twice. Obviously, this coming after the backdrop of news of Gemini's earn program not too long ago, suspending withdrawals. So users are understandably, understandably worried when they see news like that. What do you think, Ash? Well, I think this will contribute to the perception that the space, meaning crypto more generally, is not ready for prime time, uh, especially the centralized aspect of crypto. Uh, you know, this may be a little bit unfair. I can remember not terribly long ago when the New York Stock Exchange uh, went down on a number of occasions uh, with their software, I guess, whatever it was, eight, 10 years ago, there was a series of, uh, of outages over the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, but the reality is that this creates a perception uh, that there are challenges in the crypto space uh, and that it isn't ready for prime time. Obviously, building robust infrastructure, robust systems infrastructure uh, that have very high levels of availability, it takes time, it takes money, uh, and uh, it, it just, it just you have to build up this infrastructure sort of step by step, and it's challenging when you see an interest surging in crypto and the volume rises. Uh, it's a challenge to get these systems secure. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, since we've been in a bear market, there's no better time to build. That's when they say build during the bear market, uh, you know, and so that's that's what we're doing now. Well, with that said, By the way, it's also guests... it's also a very easy thing to say. Let's let's build during the bear market. You know, <laughs> it's off 95 percent. It's time to build. It's time to build, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, let's bring in our guest, uh, Sidney Powell. He's the co-founder and CEO of crypto lending platform Maple Finance. We're also joined by the managing partner of Cosmo Ventures, Rob Frasca. Gentlemen, welcome back to Real Vision. Yeah, great. Thanks for here. having us. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, Ash, I'm gonna let you take away from from here, and I'll be back with the uh, with questions at the end. Great, great to have both of you guys here. Uh, let's just go around the horn really quick uh, to talk a little bit about what you do. Rob, you've been on Real Vision before. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're a group of serial entrepreneurs. We run a company called Cosmo Ventures. We're an asset management firm. Uh, we have a venture capital fund, actually one of the first tokenized venture capital fund that focuses on blockchain. And we have a new fund that uh, we're just launching now, uh, kind of a great time to launch fund. It's a proof of stake uh, fund, but it's entirely risk managed. Uh, and we like to call it a kind of a digital yield fund. So been in the space since 2014, believe it or not, done a little over 30 deals on the venture side. I think we did about 15 deals in the last 12 months. Uh, and we're all in on, on blockchain. So tell us a little bit about Maple and what you do there. Yeah, sure. So Maple is a credit capital market built on, on top of the blockchain. So think of us as a way to facilitate institutional lending that occurs via pools. So what we're doing is we're really building the back office for running a lending business and doing so on chain. So this speaks to my background, which was institutional banking and, um, and debt capital markets. And so Maple launched in May of 2021. We've done a little over 2 billion in loan, origins, loan originations to date. And we recently launched version two of the protocol, which was about nine months in the making, but which uh, addresses things that we learned coming through the kind of the period of volatility in June and July, and uh, which we're really excited about. And now our focus is really on diversifying those end lending offerings. 
Yeah, we're going to talk more about Maple in just a second. Obviously, there's been some news flow that our viewers are going to be familiar with. But I want to talk a little bit about the general state of play in the space. Uh, Rob, you mentioned at the outset, obviously, the timing uh, of doing anything right now is, well, let's just call it rather interesting. What's your read on where we are right now, Rob, in the wake of the FTX collapse? Yeah, so I'm a dot-com guy. So, and a lot of the guys on my team, we've all kind of been there, done it, did it over the last 30 years. And I keep saying to myself, man, I've seen this movie play out and so many times. And, you know, I saw it in dot-com, I saw it in mobile. Uh, and, I, and I see what's happening in crypto very similar to that. Uh, generally, what happens is, you know, you get new technology, really inspires the market, people invest in it. You get this kind of over exuberance. Uh, you build a bubble, the bubble kind of pops, uh, things get devalued, and then the real uh, the real work happens. Uh, I kind of call it speculation to realization, going from early adopter to early majority. I'd say we're right there right now. Uh, in fact, my favorite quote of all time, which applies, uh, which is Warren Buffett, right? Be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. I tend to feel like fear in the system's a good thing right now. So that's where I say we are. We're going mainstream. We're going mainstream with blockchain. Uh, you know, I always look for institutional indicators. Basically, where what are the institutions doing? Where are they on the adoption life cycle? How many people do they have working on it? At what stage are they? And when you look across the board from State Street to JP Morgan, BNY Mellon, Fidelity, all the big players, uh, they've got big teams spending big dollars and getting ready to launch big products. So that's where I think we are right now in blockchain. I think uh, I think there is a silver lining in this kind of FTX fiasco, and that's regulation. I think regulation is important, right? More regulation, more compliance uh, creates guardrails where people are more comfortable with risk. And when people are more comfortable with risk, they're going to put more money to work. So anyway, uh, that's where I think we're at. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, Rob, that's very much consistent with my own view. I remember uh, when I was one of the young guys on Wall Street back in uh, the year 2000, uh, after the dot-com bubble imploded, uh, and I remember folks saying to me, well, you know, that internet thing that you kids kept talking about, that was really cute. Now let's get back to doing some right. real work. And and yeah. obviously what we've seen is, um, you know, just the complete uh, dominance of the internet in every aspect of commerce, every aspect of uh, social interaction. It's just taken over everything, uh, as Mark Andreessen likes to say, software has eaten the world. Um, so, Sid, over to you. What's your take on where we are right now? I I tend to agree with Rob, so certainly, uh, certainly what you're looking at in terms of the building space is a bit of a protracted bear market, which means that uh, for any, any kind of uh, startup or, or protocol in the space, particularly for us, we fall into the DeFi space, you're looking at kind of uh, potentially a period of reduced revenues, reduced usage. So the, constant, the, the focus really is on finding, rediscovering or diversifying your end offering. So for us, as, as a lending protocol, what we've focused on is looking at uh, kind of think of it as like non-correlated verticals. So most of what Maple had done in, in the year and a half to date that we've been live was lending to market makers and crypto native companies. Now we're focused on diversifying into uh, use cases outside of crypto. So real world asset lending. And I think that's kind of a microcosm of what's happening uh, within the broader space, which is that people are looking for ways in which crypto can break out of only touching other crypto native firms and start to impact the real economy. Uh, and I think that focus speaks to the need to identify uh, the need to identify real world applications for crypto and prove uh, against, you know, against the kind of the, um, the critiques of the space that what is being built here has broader applications to the real economy and is not just kind of 
uh, circular Ponzi's and, um, you know, reshuffling, reshuffling the cards on the table. So it is yeah. about finding real world applications. Well, you know, Sid, to precisely that point, obviously there's been a tremendous amount of pain and suffering in the lending space, mm. especially uh, Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, uh, and others filing for bankruptcy. Uh, talk a little bit about your model. Uh, what's your, I mean, you know, your model is much more decentralized. The other lenders I just mentioned there were more CFI. Uh, decentralization is something of a continuum uh, with Maple being more decentralized, certainly. As I understand it, uh, the loans on your platform are uncollateralized or mostly un uncollateralized. Uh, it sounds like a decentralization of the traditional underwriting function. Walk us through how that works. Yeah, uh, to, uh, that, that's an accurate characterization. So the way, the way I like to think of it, or the mental model I like to, to apply here, is that we often compared Maple to Shopify, where we did not want to be the lender of record ourselves, but what we wanted to do was build infrastructure to run a lending business. And so the primitive on Maple is this idea of pools. Each pool is kind of like a lending business or a credit fund. And so it has a manager, we call them a delegate. And what they do is they are responsible for the underwrite of the borrowers. And so that's how Maple differs from a centralized provider, which is that we are not doing the underwrite ourselves, but we have experts who are running a pool on top of Maple as infrastructure where we facilitate uh, aggregating capital, sending out loans and collecting repayments and passing them back through to depositors. Whereas if you contrast this with a centralized lending business model, what you would see is that that's, that would be more like Ash me giving money to you and then you underwrite the borrowers but i'm relying on your equity cushion so i'm relying on your ability to underwrite and then the fact that you have sufficient equity to absorb losses i never know who you're lending to i don't know what your loss performance has been and so that's where we saw some of the difficulty with the cfi lenders so celsius uh blockfi and others uh people were in the dark about where those where the funds were going were they being used strictly on lending or were they being used on other things like trading or DeFi platforms? And uh, people couldn't get clarity until the point at which withdrawals were being frozen on those platforms. Whereas if you contrast this with Maple, you can always see because the loans are on chain, who is borrowing on the other side? You can always right. see proof of reserves. And, you, and the, the other really important aspect here is that it's non-custodial. So you can withdraw your funds from a smart contract rather than me relying on you to send them back to me. And that's one of the core differences and, and where people are now starting to have renewed interest in using DeFi infrastructure to run familiar business models like lending. Well, with that said, it must uh, also be added that Maple has had some significant challenges here uh, in the last few months. This is uh, from Sunday, December 11th, reporting from Coindesk. Uh, $36 million of loans have defaulted. $18 million in loans uh, were then distressed. Uh, moreover, uh, what Coindesk calls sour debt uh, accounts for, quote, 66% of the total outstanding uh, in Maple's four lending pools. Uh, obviously, those are some difficult numbers. I also wanted to show this. Uh, Peter, if you could pull up the loan portfolio chart, please. Uh, this is from Token Terminal Data, also via Coindesk. The data shows here uh, that the active loans on the platform have declined since May of 2022. That's obviously in the wake of the Terra Luna collapse from $900 million to $82 million. That's a 90% decrease uh, in loans on platform. Uh, Sid, tell us a little bit about what's happening, what you guys are experiencing now. Yeah, for sure. And so it's worth noting, so defaults will occur in any lending business. Uh, so those dollar amounts, so 36 million and then 18 million distress, that needs to be put in the context of having done over two billion in loan originations to date. So, on top, those numbers in but aggregate. Sid, is that is that an apples to orange comparison? Loan originations to date versus outstanding loans on the books right now. In other words, this looks like two thirds uh, of the debt that's currently on platform uh, is either in default or distressed. It is an appropriate comparison, and the reason for that is that you need to cite default performance against the loans originated to date to get an accurate. Um, accurate view of the probability of default. What's happened here, and I'll go into this, is the loan balance has become lower in that since FTX, borrowers were repaying and the delegates were declining to do new originations because of the uh, perceived discomfort with credit risk in the space and also the fact that people were wanting to withdraw their funds. So in that kind of environment, it's not prudent to continue doing um, originations at the same pace. 
and it's more prudent to collect cash, allow withdrawals to happen. So what you've seen there is that cash has been allowed to be returned to depositors, and that's why the balance uh, reached the level of sub 100 that it was at today. So yeah. what it's prompted us to do is now, and the delegates, is to look at alternative uh, lending verticals because the position of the profitability of market makers and delta neutral funds uh, today is not what it was uh, or it has declined versus 12 months ago. So in that environment, it's not prudent to continue lending at the same pace to that vertical. And it makes more sense to try and find other real world asset verticals. So we're looking at things like treasuries, reinsurance, trade receivables as non-correlated sets of borrowers that can be lent to where they will not face the same challenges that have befallen market makers and, and uh, Delta neutral firms in recent months. Yeah. I also want to take a look at the token performance to just give a, a little bit of context for the market reaction to what we're seeing on Maple. Uh, first, let's take a look at the three-month chart. I think what we've got uh, there queued up is the is the one-year chart, the three-year, uh, the three-month chart. As you can see, uh, it's down into the left, uh, basically at a 45-degree angle, riding down from about 21.40 to where it trades now at three bucks and 80 cents, or there about a decline of over 80 percent. Uh, and then let's also let's go back to that first chart, the one-year chart. Uh, we've gone from a pre-Terra Luna collapse high of about 64 bucks down to, again, where we're trading now, about $3.80. A total peak-to-trough decline of just under 95%. Obviously, uh, an ugly number, Sid. What do you make of that performance, uh, and how does it correlate with your view of what's happening inside the business right now? Uh, so I separate token performance uh, from what we're, what we're focused on in terms of building and genuine traction. And so... Separating the two, what we've done is launched V2, which is a meaningful upgrade in terms of facilitating uh, reduced lockups, the ability for people to withdraw in cycles and, and be treated equally and equitably as they withdraw without any front running. The ability to take defaults earlier, which is an improvement in risk management because you don't have to wait for a loan to miss, a, um, miss an interest payment. And then also the uh, composability of the protocol. So the fact that we're now on a new token standard that can slot more seamlessly into uh, into other DeFi platforms. So from a traction perspective, what you've seen is that the loans on the platform have definitely reduced. And that's reflective of the fact that the vertical that was that the delegates were lending into is not as favorable as it was 12 months ago. And so the only rational thing to do in that situation is to look at other uh, diversified uh, lending opportunities. So what we're looking at is other crypto native companies. So uh, we have a delegate who's now focused on lending to proof of stake validators, in addition to looking at proof of work miners and looking at Web3 infrastructure. And then looking outside of crypto, you'll see a huge focus at the moment on real world asset lending. And that's what we're also doing in terms of having a pool that would look at reinsurance, look at trade receivables, but look at areas that are non-correlated to broader crypto performance, because that has been a constraining factor where we can't, we couldn't lend inside crypto and still outpace uh, the kind of the, the top-down macro environment that was contracting as liquidity was pulled from that system. Uh, so that's what I focus on. So shipping newer tech and now focus on commercial diversification of where we're lending. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Rob, I know we've been talking here about Maple for uh, the last few minutes. Obviously, there's been some news for the last several weeks about what's happening on that lending platform. Uh, give us your take. Do you follow the DeFi space? Uh, do you follow Maple? Do you follow lending more generally? Yeah, absolutely. I've known Sid for a while. Um, we've been following it uh, and looking at it pretty pretty heavy. My, my general take here, it's, it's almost, I, I almost kind of have to, I don't laugh at it, but it's really curious to me. Right, we, we, we build this, and, and we've been at this now since 2015. We build all of these incredible protocols to decentralize and create transparency, because that's the dream, right? Resilient, decentralized transparency. And what's the first thing we do? 
we create all these central exchanges right where where we're 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 putting all of this stuff on here and we're trading it and um and then where does it fail it it, it fails right at the central point so so my 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 kind of plea to this market is all of these exchanges should be should be completely on chain everything should be on chain right and and it should be tr and it should be transparent not aggregated on chain you know not not take a, a million people on an exchange and put them and boil them down to one address or two addresses but really de you know decentralized on chain so that's number one number two i think self-sovereignty is a big thing right mm -hmm. your own keys your own wallets you own custody you own control that what what I what I like about what Maple's doing is it's transparent, and these guys are out in the front end. They're building great uh, a, a great protocol here, uh, and we're not investors in in Maple, uh, you know, uh, but uh, certainly wouldn't mind uh, being an investor in Maple. Uh, and 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 ultimately, um, these guys are out uh, building a transparent lending platform. I, I feel like. You know what, what what's happening with them right now is they got caught up in in really their first target market which was market makers uh in being entirely crypto native from my perspective what i see uh in talking to the bigger institutions out there uh they're all they're all looking at this they're all uh developing for this they're all saying this is where it's going uh etc um and it's an important aspect of their businesses um, as is, quite frankly, tokenization. <laughs> you know, when we launched Cosmo X three years ago, we decided to tokenize it. And I would, you know, I, I, I've been a venture capitalist. I know a lot of different, you know, traditional venture capitalists. And I told them I was going to tokenize my fund. And they looked at me and said, what are you smoking? Like, it's hard enough to, to raise money already, but now you're going to tokenize it. And our vision here is, is that all of these real worlds are going to be tokenized. Uh, and, and really, that's where the market's heading. So now, fast forward four years, you got KKR tokenizing with right. Avalanche and Securitize. You got Larry Fink over at BlackRock saying everything's going to be tokenized. And I got to tell you, our phone's been ringing off the hook, okay, from a lot of these bigger institutions saying, tell us what you learned and maybe can you help us? So I feel again, you know, I'm, I'm kind of babbling here, but I, but I feel like again, let's go back to my talking point in the beginning, which is speculation to realization, uh, and and it really is about these real world use cases, uh, and 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 as Sid said, right on the lending side, it's not about market makers lending some money or delta neutral funds le lending some crypto to help them do their trading. What it's really about is how can those platforms be used to source, aggregate uh, real world uh, credit, and I think that's 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 the future here. Well, it's so interesting, Rob. You you asked this question: Where has it failed in the past? I mean, where has it failed with FTX and Celsius and Voyager and some of the others? And the answer is, uh, it's failed with human decision making. Precisely yeah. uh, where Lehman Brothers failed. Precisely where Bear Stearns failed. Precisely where uh, LTCM. If you want to go, keep dialing back the calendar there uh, to talk about these examples, it fell uh, because of traditional decisions uh, around and, leverage, underwriting. Yeah, yeah Ash, I was going to say, you know, why not put this stuff? I mean, really put it on chain. You know, we're we're launching this new fund, and we're going to put we're going to put all the holdings on chain. Okay, so that you can use a blockchain explorer and say, here's what's going on inside this fund. And you know the the whether the whether all of the you know these exchanges are on chain, when right. they say it's on chain, it's it's still not real simple, right. okay, to kind of open up the covers of an exchange and say, yeah, you know, here's here's what the, here's here's what's on chain and here's what's on the exchange. Yeah. You know, if you've got to use a if you've got to use a, a blockchain analytics firm to do that. Right. Uh, you're probably not as transparent as you need to be. And and by the yeah. way, Rob, the, the example for this is literally right out of the story that we read uh, at the beginning of the show uh, about about coin uh, about uh, excuse me about uh, Binance. Precisely yeah, what we're exactly. talking about. Identical. I also want to walk through something here, um, and I want you to pull and sit on this. I want you to walk yeah. you through kind of the the anatomy of a default, so you could give us a little bit of clarity around this. And I want to read a statement by Maple here just to contextualize what we're talking about. 
so I wanted to talk about this default specifically. This is the orthogonal trading default uh, that happened earlier uh, this month in the wake of the FTX collapse. This is a $36 million default. Uh, I should add uh, the orthogonal default followed another default on the Maple platform called Oros uh, for $3 million in November. But let me read this statement uh, from the Maple website about the orthogonal default on Maple just to give a little bit of context and explain what we're talking about here. Quote, the decision to sever all ties with the firm was made as a result of orthogonal trading misrepresenting its financial position to M11 creditors over the last four weeks, and only on Saturday, 3rd of December, communicating its inability to meet loan repayments. It is now clear that they have been operating while effectively insolvent, and it will not be possible for them to continue operating a trading business without outside investment. Misrepresentation like this is a violation of Maple's agreement, and all appropriate legal avenues to recover funds will be pursued, including arbitration or litigation as necessary. In issuing a notice of termination to orthogonal credit as a pooled delegate, Maple severs all ties and association with the firm. Maple will not work with bad actors or with firms that misrepresent their financial or business operations. We are shocked and disappointed in the behavior of others, and this is not a representation of how we do business, close quote. Uh, Sid, walk us through a little bit about what happened there, how this plays in to the lending pools and the response by Maple. Yeah, sure. So with Orthogonal, what they've maintained is that uh, they had funds that were held on FTX and that with FTX's collapse, they've been unable to retrieve those funds and uh, therefore don't have the liquidity to uh, to meet their obligations. So functionally insolvent. Uh, the issue with Orthogonal was that that wasn't communicated until four weeks after the collapse of FTX, uh, about 12 hours from the date at which, 12 hours from the point at which they had to make their, their next interest and principal repayment. So it left M11 Credit, who were the delegate who underwrote those loans, uh, with an inability to explore alternatives, whether it be restructure of the debt, uh, seeking a new investor to recapitalize Orthogonal, but it, it, uh, it forced them to, to put the loans into default. And so that's what's happened with, uh, with their loans. And so their loans were in one of the pools on the platform or two of the pools. So a USDC pool and a wrapped ETH pool. And what it's meant is that those pools are going to sustain losses. And we're at the point where uh, the delegates, so M11 Credit and Maple are now pursuing legal uh, opportunities for recovery. So what happens, there's two things that happen. So you have the on-chain aspects of a default where you have a liquidation of first loss capital provided by the delegate. So that's occurred on-chain. And then you have a remaining shortfall, which is applied as a pro rata haircut to anyone who's depositing as a lender into that pool. So that's also occurred. Um, then you have the off-chain aspects, which are commencement of legal recovery. So it's important to know that all of Mabel's loans are governed by a legal agreement that grants full enforceability against a defaulting borrower. And so that now means that uh, we're in the process of pursuing recovery through you know getting together all of uh, all of orthogonal's assets and exploring whether to put the entity into liquidation or some other way to pursue uh, maximum recovery on the part of uh, of lenders so that's something that's done by the delegate and so uh there is a budget there is external counsel retained and it's not uh it's not the case that the only consequence for orthogonal is reputational it is the case that there are actual legal consequences and the potential up to and including liquidation and bankruptcy for that entity in order to achieve maximum recoveries for any lenders who are who are in that pool. So that's where we connect what what is occurring off chain with what occurs on chain there. Yeah, I wanted to bring Marco back in. I know he has some additional news stories for us today. So the, the next story that we're looking at, New York regulators released new crypto rules for banks yesterday. The New York State Department of Financial Services says that banks must now inform the body if they want to dab into crypto. Ash, in the wake of the FTX collapse, it feels like we'll be seeing more moves like this. What do you make of it? What does the panel make of it? I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, that's right, Marco. Uh, the regulator NYDFS will require a 90-day notice. Uh, banks that are thinking of getting into the crypto space will have to present a business plan. Uh, the regulators will then review the proposal. It will assess uh, risk management, corporate governance and oversight, as well as consumer financial and legal protections. According to the NYDFS, the idea is to make sure, quote, consumers' hard-earned money is protected end quote. Uh, the regulator also emphasized the need for a timely and transparent approach to changes in any 
regulation. Look, I think that consumer protection is something that NYDFS cares about, uh, but I also think that this is about the segregation of crypto from the traditional finance system. That's probably not surprising. Uh, there's still trauma on the Hill, for example, from 2008. Uh, Acronyms like the TARP, the TALF, uh, and the almost impossible to pronounce on-air asset-backed commercial paper money market fund liquidity facility. Uh, they clearly do not want this stuff spreading to crypto. They don't want to have to create crypto liquidity facilities in the event of, uh, obviously, we're talking about here at the federal level. This is the New York state level. But the idea is that regulators and legislators uh, are very skeptical about extending taxpayer uh, guarantees to this. And it's what they're trying to do, it seems to me at least, uh, is isolate and segregate the crypto space from the traditional financial space. Uh, but I'm curious uh, to hear what Rob and Sid think about this story. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, when you have something like this, it's become a, a political talking point as well. Uh, you know, I don't know if you watch some of the, uh, some of the uh, uh, recent uh, uh, discussions in Congress there. Uh, I, I feel like it's a pendulum, right? You're gonna, you're gonna, uh, you know, something bad happens. You get a lot of kind of overreaction, and then it's gonna move to hopefully uh, to the other side. You know, we're, we're over here, moves to this side, and hopefully it lands someplace nice uh, in the middle. I right. feel like regulation is important. Transparency is very important. Uh, anytime you put regulation in. Uh, in a good way, it reduces risk. And when you reduce risk, you bring more liquidity, you bring more people to a uh, to a growing market. So I think it's important. Uh, with okay. that said, uh, it's what is in those regulations, okay, that uh, that that you really have to kind of look at. Right. Uh, and and there's a lot of education that has to happen here because this is different than traditional finance. Uh, and some of the things that are being proposed uh, almost make me laugh. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's really about education and moderation and protection. Uh, and right. that's, uh, you know, so I think it's a, I, I think it's a good thing. Uh, and I, I, I quite frankly, I, again, to go back to my earlier point, I, I think the industry needs to start using the technology uh, that we're designing and building here, uh, particularly the centralized part of it, um, right. you know, and, and do it yesterday uh, because that's going to ease the pain of a lot of, uh, you know, kind of uh, unwanted regulation, meaning over overbearing regulation. Rob, politics yeah. in Washington, I just don't believe it. Um, you just know, to, um, you, I mean, I, did you, did you hear this thing about, you know, did you hear this thing that uh, Senator Warren was suggesting about, you know, KYC on uh, on wallets? That's kind of like my analogy would be that if I buy a Louis Vuitton purse, um, I need to do KYC. They need to do KYC on me because I'm going to put cash in my purse. Like that, you know, it, it's 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 yeah. it just, you know, it just I, it, it, and it, and I get it. They don't understand it. Right. So I'm not saying it's it, I, they just don't understand it and they need to. And so you have to kind of do that education. Yes. Uh, Rob, I call I actually I actually mentioned that uh, yesterday on the show. I, I you know, obviously, this is kind of like a first draft of legislation. I'm sure it's going to change. Uh, but I mentioned the non-custodial wallet component uh, of the proposed bill uh, as being probably one of the most. Uh, well, let's just say interesting uh, parts of it. And I think that you're, you're absolutely right. But, uh, you know, you're a constituent. You're a constituent, Rob, of Senator Warren. You can uh, you can write her an email uh, as someone she represents. Yeah. I, I was just going to add to uh, add to that. So I think the uh, regulation is certainly a net positive in terms of making people comfortable with the space. But it needs to be tempered with you can't regulate everything in such a way that you stifle innovation. And right. so I think it's more right. advocate like where are people going and then pave you know pave the footpath over that rather than necessarily outlining the full footpath up front and forcing people within those confines um which perhaps a bit of a, a bit of a, a sort of sloppy analogy but um the uh, the point being made as well is that i think regulation that makes people more comfortable participating in the space is great but regulation which stops some of the large institutions touching crypto or smart contracts full stop is probably going to be net detrimental because right. what you're looking, what you're seeing is that let's say a corporation wants to participate in crypto uh, and hold stable coins, for example, how do they get in through a fiat provider? And so, if you have regulation that prevents any of the large banking institutions from offering that service, then you force them to go 
down alternative routes, which are less protected. And so what I would like to see is regulation actually encourages institutions to come into the space because they know how they can participate in kind of a lower risk way in a way that is permitted by the regulatory environment. So in that way, it would probably be um, helpful to adoption and also to, to safer practices in terms of accessing and interacting with crypto. I want to pull Marco back in, who's got, I believe, one more story about uh, about Coinbase. Yes, uh, this next story is if you've ever lost your tokens by sending them to a wallet that didn't support them, this story might be interesting, right? So Coinbase has launched a self-service tool that allows people to recover unsupported tokens sent to the Coinbase wallet. Coinbase says around 4,000 tokens that run on the ETH blockchain can now be recovered, even though they're not supported by Coinbase. Looks like a positive development. I mean, what is your guys' take on it? Starting with Ash. Well, you know, these mistakes obviously happen more often than anyone would want. Uh, right now, the UI, UX, user interface, user experience aspect of crypto uh, is something that is very much, uh, well, let's just say it's very much friendly for computer science majors only. Uh, and some of these challenges happen. I expect that we'll see uh, abstraction layers being built up around it you know, basically make ease of use something that's simpler in the space. Uh, Coinbase says that previously unsupported tokens were unrecoverable uh, because they wouldn't register on the Coinbase ledger. Uh, on the Coinbase ledger, access to private keys would have been needed to reverse these transactions. And Coinbase staff don't have that sort of access now. Customers will need two things to recover their tokens. Uh, one is Ethereum transaction identity number, and the other is Coinbase address where the asset was lost. Coinbase says the process will keep the private keys secure and unexposed. I haven't looked into the details on this technology yet, uh, guys, but what's interesting to me, uh, one of the things that we hear about in the space is the need for true decentralization. But what we're seeing here is Coinbase creating functionality that creates a case for where and how centralized regulated entities can add value, particularly around user interface, user experience. Uh, I think it's interesting just in general to see these questions play out. Uh, what's your take, Rob? I, I don't know anybody this doesn't happen to. <laughs> I mean, it's happened to the best of us. People who don't uh, use just, crypto. You know, that's pretty much it, uh, right? Especially people that don't use crypto. And the number of people I get that call me up and say, oh, man, I just sent Polygon over to, you know, on the wrong network. I mean, you know, th this just happens. Uh, and so I think this is a great way to get access to uh, a bunch of uh, crypto that's uh, kind of uh, out there uh in in uh coinbase uh, essentially addresses so i think it's uh i think it's a super uh, uh a super development for all of us who have uh you know mistakenly uh done this uh, but it also shows you just how far we have to go as an industry to make this simple uh and make it more bulletproof so that these kinds of things don't happen Sid. I think, uh, yeah, just to, just to echo that, I think it actually points, if you look under the hood and kind of read between the lines there, it points at a couple of interesting technology developments, which would be potentially the use of more MPC. Uh, so, um, you know, like multi-sigs there uh, by a centralized entity in that to recover these tokens, um, you know, previously like accessing the private keys might have compromised hot wallets there, but now what you're seeing is the ability to tie transactions to an individual customer account probably suggests a move to more decentralized infrastructure within Coinbase from an engineering perspective. And um, also it's something that wouldn't have been needed a couple of years ago until you had DeFi summer and all of these tokens take off on the Ethereum blockchain. Before nobody cared about token number 1000. Now you have hundreds of tokens that people actually care about. So it suggests, again, you know, in, in, in some small way, an advancement of the space. I mean, in the current environment, though, all tokens are of sort of, you know, it's depressed market valuations. So perhaps people care yeah. about it less. Um, but I think right. it is a really interesting engineering advancement for Coinbase that suggests more use of DeFi infrastructure. And this is consistent with what we hear from the centralized exchanges in in uh, background conversations. Yeah, and I should it's say- It's more MPC, Web3, MPC. right? Yeah, yeah it, it's it's more Web3, right? Now, now yeah. I, you know, I can, I can take my keys that are in my wallet and I can uh, unlock a transaction you know, uh, on Coinbase without giving up my keys, right? I mean, you know, you got you got Wallet Connect 2.0. Up up until recently, mm -hmm. Wallet Connect 1.0 was only EVM compliant, and now um, Wallet 2. Wallet Connect 2.0 is you know across the board open to other uh, other layer ones and you know et cetera, you know non EVM stuff. So it it, it definitely is a move in the Web 3 uh, mm -hmm. direction.
By the way, two acronym checks. Uh, EVM is Ethereum Virtual Machine, for those who may not Sorry. know. Uh, and Sid mentioned MPC, that's multi-party computation. Uh, this is the just sort of distributed uh, way of verifying and validating transactions. Uh, these are all things, as uh, Rob points okay. to, uh, that are related to- And signing to, them. And signing them. Uh, these are all things that are related to the Web3 architecture and sort of a native Web3 uh, way of looking at the world. Uh, with that said, I've got to bring Marco back in. I know he's got some questions from our viewers. Uh, yes, time for some viewer questions. But before that, for our viewers, please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You know, like the like the video, hit the notification bell. It's very important to us. Uh, so this first question here we have is from Sean B on the Real Vision website, and uh, it's it's not really related to some of the stuff that we're talking about, but it's a great question. It says, "Can someone walk through the downside of GBTC? I understand that the fees are on the NAV, meaning net asset value, and not the market cap. The discount could go greater, and that you do not." have the keys, but it seems like there are two lawsuits now trying to force a convergence of the price of the NAB, uh, one being Grayscale's lawsuit with the SEC, two the being the new fir tree lawsuit. The risk reward seems to be in favor of owning GBTC versus the individual coins. Yeah, uh, I guess so yeah, he's making reference to the fact that we're trading currently at about a 50% discount to net asset value. Uh, this is a great question, and I'm glad we have Rob and Sid both here to talk about it. Uh, as I understand it, some of this is just a, a traditional fund structure issue because it's a closed-end fund. There isn't the ability to convert those into the underlying assets. Uh, Rob, Sid, w what do you guys think about this? Uh, I'm I'm not up to speed on it, to be honest with you. Uh, so I'm probably not the guy, uh, you know, to to really talk about it. Uh, Fair enough. I, think it. I haven't been following it. Sid, are you following yeah. this one? Yeah, I'm following it a bit. Um, I'm again not an expert on the fund structures, but I mean the 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 bet that that viewer is making is that the discount, the nav discount, is going to close there, and a catalyst to that would need to be either a winding up of the grayscale trust uh, or the conversion to you know to an to an open-ended fund or an etf um and so it, it i don't know that that lawsuit that uh grayscale has with the sec is, is necessarily looking at a near-term resolution um but i think what people are pointing to as a potential for the a wind up of it would be whether uh dcg at a corporate level is compelled to do that um citing some of their um their near-term debt obligations with respect to genesis um so i think you know that person, that person is really looking at kind of an event-driven play, but I would say that that discount is something that's persisted for, you know, over 12 or 18 months now. So I don't know that I'd be going into it as kind of like a, a near-term catalyst or event-driven play if I were uh, if I were that kind of investor. Interesting. Marco, I think there yeah. are other questions. Yes, yes. We have another question here from Mr. Dinosaur on YouTube asking, uh, have we seen all of the FTX contagion effects? Any new companies revealing side effects recently that you guys know of? I mean, we're just talking about Genesis uh, right there. Obviously, that's a big one. But Rob, Sid? I haven't seen I haven't seen any uh, any others. I mean, um, you know, I think most of from our perspective uh, across our portfolio, we had very, very little exposure. And I haven't seen or heard of much more. So we, we've seen the near term, the near term uh, direct effects and indirect effects. So the, the most direct impact on us was that as a lending platform, we had Orthogonal and Aorus were both impacted by having funds uh, stuck on FTX. But I think now you're right. entering a phase where you're looking beyond the people who had funds trapped on there and you're looking at the second order impact. So there were people who could continue with uh, cash balances um, in the near term and continue to fund operations, but who might have needed to pull forward in time when they would do a raise. Amber is probably the most recent example of this. They just completed a, uh, a $300 million raise and a lot of that is gonna be applied to uh, replacing funds that were trapped on FTX. So that's a second order impact. But what you're gonna see is um, reduced capital allocation within the space because Alameda was a pretty prolific venture investor and allocator in fund of fund strategies. And so I think you're gonna see that, that that is like a lagging effect of the FTX collapse where you'll see less uh, deployment of capital from uh, venture firms, less formation of new venture firms as a result of it. And then, um, but I think the other impact uh, you'll see is probably more participation in uh, DeFi volumes. So I think that'll be like one positive catalyst for people who are participating on this side of the fence is that the overall weight of volume, which was probably 90-10 in favor of 
C5 versus D5 is now going to shift to, to probably more of an even balance. And I think it also highlights uh, that people are now wanting to, to rely more on technology work rather than counterparty risks. So let me ask you uh, this, talking of contagion effects, uh, we were talking earlier about the 66% impaired assets on your platform right now. What's your outlook for that? What's the risk of additional contagion effects in this environment? The So the risk of additional contagion effects in this environment, I would say we're moving past the point where people are going to be directly impacted by just, you know, solvency or liquidity issues created by having had funds locked on uh, on FTX. So I would say that part is probably you know, shifting into the rearview mirror. Um, in terms of the outlook for those loans on the platform, so Orthogonal is definitely defaulted and would move past into the phase where we're looking at recoveries. Uh, but for the other loans on the platform, so Oros is still in restructuring conversations. Um, so that one's, uh, that one's still TBD. And that involves, you know, conversations with their other creditors, which Maven 11 is having, as well as potential investors. Uh, but in terms of the overall platform, given that the size of the loans on the platform is really reduced, you're looking at fairly limited potential for any further contagion. I know in the orthogonal pool, we're at the point where there's now only one other loan outstanding there, and most funds have just been returned to borrowers. So I think from our perspective, what we're now looking towards is not so much focus on that uh, that borrow vertical, but now focusing on other diversified opportunities. So as I mentioned before, it'll be real world assets, um, diversification outside of crypto and diversification within crypto to other Web3 infrastructure. I think you can see from the tone of the conversation we've had so far that there is um, there are catalysts for near-term Web3 infra adoption, whether it's node validators or other de decentralized business models, but those are going to be cash flow generative. There are going to be opportunities to deploy capital there. Marco, yeah, back I to you. Yeah, I, I actually think I, I actually think if, if I can chime in here. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when we talk about DeFi, we, we tend to spend a lot of time talking about uh, credit we, and, and debt and, and, and a lot of these uh, types of uh, types of things. What we're seeing on our side is really a, a, a real emphasis on proof of stake, proof of stake protocols, top tier, top 20. Uh, proof of stake protocols. And again, it gets back to that kind of thing that I said in the beginning, going from speculation to realization. A lot of larger institutions are now starting to use this technology, stuff like Hedera and Cardano and Algorand, and they're actively involved in that. You know, look at uh, KKR using Avalanche with Securitize. So from our perspective as investors, where we're spending all our time really looking at is Proto, you know, those protocols in the proof of stake area uh, and the whole concept of staking uh, those to get yield. And when you think about that, the counterparty risk is really what? The protocol. And the nice thing about all of these is I don't have to give up custody to do this kind of thing. So yeah. from an investor perspective, there's a great way of being in the market as the market is adopting these technologies. and ultimately taking yield out of the system with a very reduced uh, uh, counterparty uh, risk yeah. there. So, and, and that and that's important, right? Because, because again, you know, these bigger firms are going to be adopting these networks. And when they adopt these networks, think about it, right? Each one of these things represent a network and every participant on the network brings value to that network. But when you have somebody like a Fidelity adopting one of them, that's kind of having a super node on that network, bringing massive, uh, uh, transaction volume uh, and value to that network. That's where we're at. These bigger yeah. guys are coming on to these networks as super nodes. So as investors, that's where you want to be. And, get and back why to not, right? Sorry, I gotta get back to Marco. We're over time yeah. here. Uh, it's yeah. been an incredible Sorry. conversation and I, I could, I wish we could continue for another two hours. Marco, jump back <laughs> in, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to do some uh, brief takeaways here. It was a great conversation between you, Ash, and Rob and Sid. Uh, you know, so one of the things that really stood out to me is that Rob is a dot-com guy. So when he's seeing what, what's happening in crypto right now, he feels like he's seen this movie before. It's played out before where we go from this speculation phase to this realization phase, right? Uh, but that said, 
you know, even though we go through these cycles of people invest, you get over exuberance, the bubble pops, the cycle keeps going. He, he mentioned a favorite quote from Warren Buffett, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. That was a big, that was, a, I think, a, a thing that's something that really stood out to me. Uh, on the note of the FTX collapse, he expects more regs, regulations are coming. And these regulations may lead to people being more comfortable with investing in the market because they're more comfortable with the risk. But as Sid pointed out, as, as Sid pointed out, actually, is you can't regulate to the point that you stifle innovation. Uh, Rob, Rob also made this great point on calling for every exchange to be properly on chain and uh, and for the need for more decentralization and transparency in the space in general. Company offering a solution like that is actually my Maple Finance, uh, but obviously going through this tough time in the crypto markets and with the macro uh, you know, the macro effects that we have in the the, the overall macro environment. Uh, companies like Maple, are they're, they're focusing on finding, rediscovering, and redefining their end offering, building and uh, building genuine uh, trans, uh, traction, uh, composability. On the note of the FTX collapse, he also thinks that we have second order impacts. We're at the stage of second order impacts, right? Where we're going to see reduced capital allocation in the space. Uh, but those are, those, are my, uh, final, those are my takeaways. Do you guys have any thoughts to add there? Sid, jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think uh, in the near term, you're going to see a lot of skepticism about the space, but it's important to remember that, um, you know, like lend lending continued after the GFC. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty much the oldest business in finance. And so I think you need to separate the, uh, the shorter, what you've seen shorter term in terms of credit events from what is the secular trend, which is that I see finance continuing to shift on chain just because it is, you know, for me, this remote, like the, the story here is that we're shifting from mail and post boxes to email when it comes to the transfer of money online. And so I think the secular trend is that, that is gonna continue. And I just view the recent events as a, as a short-term hiccup in that longer term cycle. Makes sense. How about you, Rob? Do you have any takeaways there? Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that as well. I think uh, we're in the first, uh, you know, second, first, second inning here, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, when, when I think about it in terms of timing, uh, there, there's a bunch of alpha uh, that, that, that investors have, um, have achieved over the last couple of years, but I think that's going to pale in comparison to what's in the future. So I'm, I'm more long-term focused than short-term uh, here uh, and, and stay focused on, you know, the bigger prize, which is, you know, how this technology just promulgates through all facets of our society. The long-term focus is, yeah, definitely. Ash, do you have anything to add? I'm actually going to start where you started, Marco, uh, with the uh, dot-com uh, bubble and the dot-com revolution, really. Uh, I think this is all, as we discuss this here, quite clearly very much a work in progress. There's just tremendous, tremendous promise uh, here uh, in terms of where we're going to be with this technology in one, three, five years. One of the challenges uh, with investment in new technology is always, as, as Rob knows and, uh, and Sid as well, is always figuring out where the technology is versus the investment. Sometimes you can get a little bit ahead of yourself. Sometimes markets can get a little bit ahead of themselves. One of the things that's so different about this space uh, than the dot-com era is that there's essentially uh, immediate instantaneous liquidity, pre-IPO liquidity uh, that people can can people uh, can invest and trade in these assets. And so you have uh, situations uh, where you know you have a brand new protocol and then two weeks later, uh, somebody's telling you about it at the gym uh, and investing in it. And so you have these these sort of wild gyrations in price uh, on this. It's totally unregulated. That's part of its glory. That's also part of its challenge. Uh, we were talking about some of these points earlier in terms of the, the challenges with new technology and figuring out uh, new best practices, uh, for example, uh, around auditing. Uh, a, an audit is not simply publishing on-chain data. Uh, understanding how these things uh, are going to ultimately sort themselves out over the months, years, and decades to come is, is, a, is a material challenge. But again, uh, the promise of this space is is just uh, so great. And listen, I also just wanted to thank uh, Sid for coming on and having this conversation with us, especially. Obviously, uh, Maple has been going through some challenges lately, and, and we appreciate you coming on and, and really directly answering uh, those questions. I know they're not easy, and when you have a loan book that's 66% impaired, uh, that's a challenging situation. But to come on uh, and to and to make the case and to talk about version 2.0 and the things that you're doing, uh, we, we appreciate that, and I think that that's... Uh, that's 
that's the move uh, that you guys are making toward decentralization, toward transparency. Uh, it's something that we appreciate. Uh, and and uh, obviously, uh, these are challenges that people need to be aware of. And uh, Rob, always a always a pleasure to have you on. I, I always enjoy uh, being able to talk to someone else who is uh, who is there during the dot-com uh, time because I, I tell you, Rob, not a day goes by where I don't mentally make those comparisons uh, in my own mind uh, because the outcome was so clear then uh, that this technology was going to be a massive revolution, precisely as the uh, outcome seems, at least to me, very clear uh, about where this technology is going to be in uh, one, three, five, ten years. Uh, but again, as then, there were challenges, uh, and there are challenges now. And um, you know that's why we do these conversations, so we can talk about them uh, with great guests like you guys. So thank you both very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Awesome. Well, that's it for today's show, everybody. If you're not a subscriber yet, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell. Join us again next week. We have Dan Roberts, Leah Wald, and Bill Barheit as part of our guests. See you on Monday at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.